Today we're going to have a teaching that's going to um, very, I'm praying for the Lord that it's going to be very helpful for us. Um, the title of it is Finding Purpose in Painful Places. Um, Finding Purpose in Painful Places. Um, and I'm going to be speaking on this subject from more of a global view with a scriptural worldview. Um, now, what I mean by that is this. We're going to look at it as a human course uh, of, of the, the painful places that humanity finds itself in today. But we're going to look at this through a scriptural worldview. Now, this is going to apply to every single individual Christian and human that is in this room today. Um, but we're looking at this through a scriptural biblical worldview, but also from a worldwide basis. Um, this year, there's going to be nearly 55 million deaths. 55 million deaths. That's 151,000 every day, 105 deaths every minute. Now, to put a little perspective into it, there's about 131 million births a year, almost three times the amount of births than there are deaths. Um, there are weddings every day, a lot of rejoicing every day, but then there's deaths every day, a lot of pain every day. On a global, worldwide view, pain is something that is being experienced and felt across every home, across every individual person, across every piece of land. And, and what I want us to do is I really want us as the church, we should have an understanding of pain. We should have an understanding of the purpose of pain. Um, why we're experiencing pain because we, number one, we've got to have a confidence and we've got to know where to find our joy from, but at the same time, we've got to be able to offer hope to people that is all around us that are experiencing pain. So the, the title of this teaching today is going to be Finding Purpose in Painful Places. And if you can, let's open up our scripture real quick to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to have some slides, and we're going to have some very important scripture verses. So if you want to write these scripture verses down, I'm asking you to please write them down, but also to go back through this sometime this week, because it's going to walk you through an understanding of the painful places in the earth that, that we're going to find ourselves in, and we're going to see the purpose in these painful places. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, Jesus gives us a very uh, common parable that many of us have heard many times before. Two parables that are back to back, but it's almost like a coin. They're showing us two different things. Many times as we read right through it, we're actually thinking that it's saying the same thing, but we're going to do a little comparison and contrast because this is going to set the stage for us to understanding the painful places and the purpose of our painful places. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, and our first slide is gonna come up before we read this, and it's gonna say this. The greatest purpose in life will be found where the greatest price was paid. Okay, listen to that one more time before we read this. The greatest purpose in life will be found where the greatest price was paid. Finding purpose in painful places. Matthew 13, 44. And the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that is hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again, and from the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. 
Now, as I said, many times we read these two parables that are, that are back to back and we think it's the same truth, but it's actually not the same truth. Let's look at verse 44, and it starts off by saying this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. So I'm going to ask you, what is the kingdom of heaven here in verse 44? It is a treasure, and it was hidden in a field. What is the field? The world. Which a man found, who is the man? The people of the world. And when he found it, he hid it again, and from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. So let me review this parable that Jesus is telling us here at the very beginning. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure, the field is the world. And then he says, this treasure is hidden in the world, which says this, the kingdom of heaven is not easily found. As we are walking around in this world, it is not something that we just, in the face, see every single day. It's something that is not easily found. And then there is a man that is walking across this world that finds it, and he begins to discover the impassable the unexplainable value of this kingdom that he actually goes and hides it again, goes and sells all that he has, he gets rid of everything in his, in his life, and then he goes to purchase or to obtain, to acquire the kingdom of heaven. When I say the word purpose, I mean this. It is the reason for which something exists. And this man walking in the course of this world that has the kingdom of heaven that is hidden amongst this world, as he is walking, he finds the greatest purpose in his life. So great that no other price in his life can, can hold to this value that he sells at all. And he begins to discover this is the greatest purpose. This is the reason for which I exist. That is our part of this journey. Now, in verse 45, as we continue to read it, we're actually going to see that the parable, the analogy changes. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. So let's do this exercise one more time. The kingdom of heaven in this parable is what? It is a merchant. A merchant is an organization that is mostly dealing with foreign trade. That's what a merchant is. It's like a businessman that is looking to trade, looking to purchase, looking to acquire things. And the first understanding, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure hidden in the field, right? Now the kingdom of heaven is seeking something, right? So the kingdom of heaven is now a merchant, and it is seeking fine pearls. What do you think the fine pearls are? People, humans, parable just flip-flopped. And when one is found, he sees the great value in this one pearl. Now he goes and sells all that he has to buy it. So now he finds that the greatest purpose, the greatest reason of what I'm about to do is going to be found in this one pearl, that I will bankrupt heaven I will get rid of everything that heaven has to offer, the best of heaven, to go and acquire this one pearl. 
It is an, incre- an incredible thought. The kingdom of heaven valued the pearl with such a great value that it outweighed everything else in his kingdom, including his son. It's an incredible thought. Now, here's two analogies we're going to walk through because he just compared us, the people of this world, to a pearl. Now, I'm from the South, and I understand oysters because we have incredible oyster beds there. But basically, oyster is something that not a lot of people like to eat. Okay, I don't know if you have seen oysters, but it's not the prettiest thing in the world. Basically, two shells that goes into the ocean, into really the deep parts of the ocean, and over time, sand begins to fill within these shells. And then because of darkness, because of pressure, because of waves, because of seclusion, all of a sudden there's something precious that begins to form inside of this oyster, inside of this shell, inside of this sand. And now you see why Jesus has given us an analogy of helping us to understand how we are much like a oyster and a pearl. We are simply a shell made of mud in a place that is in a foreign world called almost like an ocean, down in the deepness, a dark realm with a lot of pressure, a lot of hardship, a lot of pain, but he is searching for something inside of us that he is going to bring out so that the king can enjoy it. That's called a pearl. So to give you a little bit of an analogy on what the king is doing is the king in the days of Jesus would search for fine pearls. Fine pearls were not easily found. They were not like the the gemstones that could be found really in dry places. They were found in the deepest parts of the ocean. The most precious places had to be found by a skilled person with the right abilities so that he could actually know exactly where to go into these dark places, these pressurized places, so that he could find the right pearls. They didn't have scuba gear. So they had to have somebody that could hold their breath long. They had to know exactly where to go. So what the king had to do is he had to send a qualified person. He had to send somebody that knows what he's searching for, knows what he's looking for. And he would find the right oysters that were in the right dark places, the right pressurized places, and he would bring them out of the water, and he would open them up, and he would find these pearls. Now, not one pearl that he ever would find matches another pearl. Every single pearl has its own distinct qualities, which made them absolutely priceless. And you know what this guy would do is he would bring it to the king, and the king wouldn't take it and put it in his kingdom and hide it so nobody else could see it. He would take this pearl, and he would put it on display because he would want the world to see this pearl. And that is what Jesus is is demonstrating concerning us, is that The king is searching for pearls. He's searching for preciousness. He's searching for something that is being formed in deep places, hard places, places that are that have been formed within a lot of pressure, places that 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 no one else might understand what is happening in that place, but he does. And he brings this pearl up and he wants it to shine. He wants to show it off. He wants it to reflect something of beauty. You know, it's almost like in the beginning of the world when God created the sun, he also created the moon, and the moon was going to do what? Reflect the sun into the earth. You know, that's almost what that pearl is meant to do. It's it's meant to reflect something of God in the earth. 
Now remember, we're, 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 we're looking at this analogy and this parable in the light of this, of understanding the purpose of our painful places. Now, I want you to flip your Bible real quick to first or Second Chronicles, no, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter one. Because we're gonna look at this. How does God form and shape us into these fine pearls? Remember, the king is searching for pearls and when he finds one, he wants to let it shine into this dark world. So how does God shape these fine pearls? How does he form these fine pearls? Second Corinthians chapter one gives us a teaching on this. Chapter one, verse two, Paul says these words, incredible words, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now watch, here comes us. Who comforts us in all of our afflictions. Now, he's speaking to the church here. He's not saying, I'm removing you from afflictions, but he's actually saying, I'm going to comfort you in afflictions. So remember, I'm, I'm asking us this question. How does God form these pearls? How does he allow this form and this shape to take place to cause us to become fine pearls? Number, or verse four, he is comforting us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any afflictions with the same comfort by which we ourselves are comforted by God. So how does God form the pearls that are lying in this dark ocean called the earth? He allows afflictions, he allows hardships, pain actually comes, but then there is something that God begins to do around us, and it's called this, grace to you, peace from God, he is the father of mercies, and he is the God of all comforts. There's really four things that he begins to send out from heaven across the world that those who begin to believe in his son, Jesus Christ, they begin to get formed into this brilliant pearl that is shining, reflecting something of heaven for the world to see. And it's this, grace, peace, mercy, and comfort. Now, when it says these words, he is the father of mercies, I want us to understand that. If I was to have a son, that means that son was birthed from me. Okay, here, a little exercise. Satan is called the father of lies. Lies birthed from him. He was the first originator of a lie. But God the father is the father of what? Of mercy. He is the father of mercy. It birthed from him. It originated from him. But he is also the God of all comfort. So here it is. God sends us into this world. Now watch this. I'm going to read one portion of scripture. Don't flip there. But Acts chapter 17, verse 26. Watch what it says. And God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth having determined their appointed times and their boundaries of their, of their habitation so that, they would seek God, so that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. What that portion of scripture in Acts tells us is this. God had a predetermined thought of every single human that would ever live and exist in the earth. 
And he knew which time frame, what boundaries would work best for us so that we might hope for him, so that we might long for him, so that we might seek him. So here we are as a human world coming into this world from one man in a world that has fallen, that has the judgment of God, knowing that if we die in this world before we accept Jesus Christ, we are now eternally separated from him. But God is doing something in the world trying to get mankind to actually look back up to God again, to restore our faith in his word again, so that we can be eternally saved. So all of us are on a journey. It's a predetermined journey. It's a predetermined time frame. And God is working very effectively and efficiently trying to cause all of us to want to look up to hope, to groan for him, to ask God for help. Do you know that every one of you in this room have a predetermined plan that came from God the Father? Not saying we always walk on it, but he has one that is designed to cause us to reach out for salvation. Then after we're saved, this plan is causing us to, cause, want, to want other people to now reach out to God the Father. That is marked with grace, marked with peace, marked with comfort, marked with mercy. Now, I want to give us two additional foundational verses, okay? Now, to hold on to our thought, because we're, we're really climbing Mount Everest right now, if you think about this. In theological terms, we're, we're climbing this huge mountain of why is pain in the earth? And what is our worldview? What is our answer of it? So we're climbing this up, but I'm going to give us two additional verses right now for some foundations that we hold on to. Ephesians 2.10 says this, we are his workmanship, which literally means this, we are his masterpiece, or literally poetic story of a masterpiece. We are his poetic masterpiece of a story that is being created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Romans 8.28, many of you can quote it. But it says these words, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. Now, as we close off our past month, we heard of much pain around the world, even in some of our big cities. As we went to bed last night, we were all very aware of a, another mass shooting that took place. As we woke up, we wake up to another mass shooting. Could you imagine the amount of pain that is coming across the family's lives? The one that, that I heard of in Ohio that shot, I think, nine people died. One of them, they said, was his sister. Could you imagine the family that is now experiencing the amount of pain that has taken place? But Romans 8.28 says this, that God is causing all things to work together for good. The famines, the hurricanes, he's causing all things that causes one of these seeds of Adam to want to long for God, to grope for God, to want to need God so that we can be saved and never again be separated from God the Father. So we've got to lay some groundwork for us to understand the worldview that we look at as Christians concerning painful places. Okay, now... Psychologist tells us that there's five areas of the human experience. These are environments in the ocean that us as the oyster shells are living in. There's five, and I'm going to give them to you. They'll also be on the screen, and if you can project them, man, if you can just keep these up um, as I explain all five, 
in case if people want to write down these five. So there's basically five areas of our environment that we're living our life through of experiences. Number one is personal. Personal experiences. Meaning this, health, hobbies, daily activities, environments we choose or have to live in, meaning home and such like that. These are unique experiences that we're all having as individuals in our life. They're called personal experiences. Now, we come into this life having personal experiences. Our health is different. Every one of us came into this world with different health. But remember, God is causing and wanting every person to come into this world in certain arenas so that we would call out for him for salvation. Number two is called occupation. These are the experiences where we find much purpose, success, our funding in life, and enjoyment of using the different talents and abilities in our working world. And occupations, these are common to all people, and they play a major role in shaping who we are. The number three is this, relational. Psychologists tell us there's five environments by which we are experiencing life. Number one was personal. Number two is occupational. Number three is relational, meaning our family upbringing, the communities by which we live, our friends, our teachers, our role models, our culture, many different role models, whether it's from TV, whether it's from movies, whether it's from outside the door or coaches, uh, within the home with parents or uh, uh, brothers, sisters, friends, all of these environments are playing a role in this shaping of what is happening to the oyster that is down in the ocean. Number four is educational. Part of our shaping is the primary or secondary schooling, university schooling, liberal arts, trade schools, on-the-job training, internships. Any form of learning that we are walking through in the earth is actually shaping us as humans. And the fifth one is this, religious or spiritual. This is the development of our concept of God. From the time that we're born, there is different developments of our concept of God, whether they were right or wrong. Some of these are supernatural experiences, dreams, messages, trips we go on, schooling, friends, friends explaining God. These are religious and spiritual experiences and they are incredibly unique to all of us, yet they're shaping each and every one of us. So we're all on this journey, coming into this world with these five different experiences that are all around us. And as we're walking through these five different experiences that are being unique to every single one of us, we're all having different reactions or different experiences or results from these experiences. Now watch. One is called positive and one is called negative. So as we walk through these five areas of the world, we are now experiencing good things in these areas or bad things in these areas. When I say positive, we consider them as positive because we're experiencing some type of growth, some type of joy, or some type of purpose. We're feeling joy or purpose, satisfaction or growth. So as we walk through these five areas, we're saying that is good for my life. And I'm going to continue to hold on to that. Whether it's in schooling, whether it's in a job, whether it's in a certain relationship, we're experiencing joy and we're now trying to hold on to it. Or another result is a negative result. Meaning this, we're having a failure in this certain area. We're experiencing pain in this area. 
or we're now coming to the conclusion that this is an area to avoid. So here we go. We're walking up this Mount Everest. We're understanding some spiritual truths of God causing all men causing these environments all around us so that we would grow for him, yearn for him, call out to him. And here we are as an oyster shell in these five areas of deep planet ocean. Now, when we look at the negative ones, we want to avoid them. We want to remove our negative experiences, those painful relationships, those hurtful relationships, those great failures, we want to completely remove them from our life. Now, guys, watch. This is where we start to get into our development of understanding our topic for, the today, for today. But God sees these places in our lives as differently. You understand God has, number one, he has one main goal with all humans, that we would be saved. So God is looking at these negative experiences as a very important development in us becoming this pearl that he can cause to shine in the world. And now this is important for us as the church to understand this is because if I was today to hold up my two resumes before you, and if I was coming to you looking for a job, I would probably give you all my great resumes. I was a great baseball player, full paid scholarship, had all kind of scouts looking for me for baseball. I was a state player of the year one year in my, my junior year, played on state championship teams. I would put so many great references out there. I own my own business. But you know, in the Christian world, that's not my resume. My Christian resume is this. I was an incredible failure at a lot of stuff. Didn't do good in school. Actually lost my scholarship. Became a drug addict. I had a divorce. I was homeless for a season. Does anybody want to hire me? But how many of you want to know my God now? Because now I'm a teacher at an international Bible school. Now I have a successful marriage with a wife that loves me and that I love her. Now I love my parents when at one time I was a rebellion against my parents. There has been something that has happened in my life that God is able to reflect his son's grace, peace, mercy, and comfort. But you know that that, that happened in my life because of all of the pain. I got to a place where I had to cry out to God or else I was going to die. So what we've got to do is we've actually got to begin to look at our negative experiences through the lenses of God or even the negative experiences that are happening in the world today. Let's flip our Bibles to, to Genesis chapter 48, verse 14. I'm going to build up this story for us to get us to understand what's happening here. But we're about to look at the life of Joseph. Now, Joseph is the great-great-grandson of Abraham. It was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Joseph had this experience with God from a young age, as many of us might have as a young child. God gave him dreams, spoke into his life. I'm going to use you to be a reflection of my kingdom in the earth so that the entire world in the greatest famine that the earth is going to know in the pressurized season of the earth, you're going to be able to be a demonstration of my grace, mercy, comfort. Now, Joseph had this experience with God, but as he began to walk in his ocean, his life, he began to have negative experiences, some relational experiences. 
His brothers despised him. His brothers rejected him, abused him, and tried to kill him. Now, where's God at? His brothers just tried to kill him. He then goes into occupational experiences. He was a great administrator, but at the same time, people used him and abused him. People lied about him. He lost his promotion, got demoted into prison. People forgot about him. This is in his occupational place of feeling like I can use my administration for God and I can help the world, yet now here he is experiencing some very hard, painful areas, even in the workplace. Then he goes into some personal issues of facing loneliness, facing rejection, being accused by many things that were not true, having all of these negative experiences happening in the life of Joseph. But then all of a sudden, God began to elevate him because he was formed in the pressurized system of the ocean, and God began to elevate him knowing that this would be a person that is going to reflect my mercy and my grace and my comfort to a world. And God begins to elevate him up and puts him in second in command in the entire world while the world is facing much pain. Are you following the story? And then a blessing happens into his life. He has two children, two sons. And I want us to understand the, the sons because this is what God is going to speak into our hearts today. One of these sons, the firstborn that he received in the land of Egypt in this time of blessing was named Manasseh. That name means this, God has made me forget all of my troubles. The second son that he had, his name is Ephraim. This name means God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. If you're going to name your sons a, a definition, you really mean it. God has made me forget my pain. He's made me forget my hard times. Praise God, I'm no longer thinking about the hardship, the rejection, the brothers that tried to kill me, that threw me out, the people that, that hurt me in my work environment. And then all of a sudden, he begins to hear that his father, Israel, is still alive, and he wants to take these two children to his father before he dies so that his father could put an incredible blessing upon their lives. Now, Israel had 10 sons, and these two sons is going to become the, the 11th and 12th of the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And he brings these sons into his father, being excited for the blessing he's about to place on these children. Joseph brings up that firstborn son that means this, God has made me forget all of my troubles, and he put him by Israel's right arm, the right hand of blessing. Israel blessed this part of my life of forgetting pain, forgetting the trouble. And then he takes his left hand and he, and, and, and he brings the second son towards his left hand that says, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now here's the incredible thing. Israel is blind at this time. And as he begins to reach out his hands to bless Joseph's fruit, God is about to whisper something to Joseph that he's gonna whisper to us today. Genesis chapter 48, verse 14. But Israel, who was blind, stretched out to bless the sons of Joseph with his hands of blessing. But instead, he crossed his hands and he placed his right hand of double portion blessing on the head of the second born son, Ephraim, and then placed his left hand on the second and least portion of blessing to the head of the first born son, Manasseh. 
And Israel began to bless his boys with a blessing of inheritance in the land of Israel. Look at what he's doing. Look at verse 17. Joseph tried to stop his father from giving the double portion blessing to the second son, Ephraim. But Israel said, I know my son, but Ephraim will be the greater blessing from your life and will become more fruitful. Joseph had to learn something that we've got to learn today. In this story of Joseph, we see a man with many negative experiences in his life that were determined by the pre-all-powerful and all-wisdom mind of God to shape Joseph to be the person God needed him to be, to become in the place that God needed him to live. Some experiences were positive, many were negative. And when Joseph got to the place of standing right in the center of the God-ordained place of of calling, God whispered a thought deep into his heart. And here's the thought. Joseph, I did not bless you to make you fruitful to forget your negative experiences. But it's through your negative experiences where you're actually going to become the most fruitful and blessed. That brings us to our second point that's going to come up on the screen. God wants to bless your pain. He wants to bring blessing to your pain. Now, that is, needs to be explained. But God wants to bless your pain. Now, do you remember what God's ultimate plan is concerning humanity? Is that we would be saved. Is that we would hope for him again. We would yearn for him again. We would grope for him again. And the pressure that all of us are experiencing in this life causes us to receive the greatest blessing we could ever receive. Do you understand that? I would not be standing up here in front of you today if it was not for some of my negative experiences. I get to go to Medellin, Colombia to teach sports evangelism to a nation, but look, it was actually sports is what took me away from God. Sports turned me into an incredible drug addict when I lost it. How could God take the negative places in my life and flip it around to now help a nation come to know God? Only God can do that. Look, some of your greatest, some of your greatest past painful moments is going to be the places that God is going to show up and cause your greatest passion, which is going to give you your greatest purpose. You understand, and, and, and that's what that pearl is doing down in the center of the ocean. It's being formed. It's, it's, it's underneath this pressure, but it's beginning to experience the mercy of God, the grace of God, the peace of God, the comfort of God. And God is going to be able to take this thing in whatever way he chooses and let it shine so that somebody else who's going through afflictions will begin to see God is better than my problems. God is better than my issues. He's better than my pain. Now, I'm going to walk us through, and this is only going to take a few moments, but you really got to be able to write these down and go back through them. We're going to talk theology concerning pain. And what I mean by theology is this. We're going to let Scripture speak into our understanding of painful places, identifying scriptural truths to pain. Number one, it's going to be on the screen, pain is universal. Romans 8.22 says this, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth until now. 
The entire creation is suffering pain, not just humans, but the entire universe. There is a longing even in the universe because God placed a curse on it. There's a longing. There is because it's experiencing a pain as a woman experiences childbirth. You are not alone. You, you hear me? Across the board, no matter where you're at, and the pain that you might be experiencing that is more extreme than I could ever imagine, you're still not alone. Pain is universal. Now, I want to look at the origins of pain. Pain originated from satanic activity. Now, watch. We're going to have two of these. This is not the only one. In Genesis chapter 3, it was Satan that came to humans, to our first parents, and put the idea in their mind that there is a better world away from God. So the idea of the pain and suffering that humans are experiencing, it originated from this idea that came from Satan. That's in Genesis 3.15. The Antichrist was behind the thought, even in the Garden of Eden. Pain also originates from human activity. We chose to follow that idea. We chose to walk away from an all-powerful, all-good, all-protecting, all-providing God. We chose it. We chose to walk away from him, and then instantly we went into a place of self-preservation. We went into a place of fighting. You see the children of Adam and Eve murdering each other, causing pain to the family. So when we are experiencing pain today, we need to understand the origins of it came all the way back from the Garden of Eden. But then in Genesis 3, 15 through 19, pain also came from God's judgment because mankind chose to walk away from him. God cursed the earth with turmoil, with famines, with storms, and with hardships, which we are seeing all around the world. God cursed mankind, which causes us to fight for everything that we have until we die. And God's judgment came upon man that would cost him his life. Now, guys, watch. This is the origins of the pain that is surfacing all around the world. Now, the word, let me give you a word, uh, Genesis, uh, which basically means regeneration, becoming new. There's two things that God is making new. One is humanity that is now in the form of Christ. But second is the earth. Okay, there, there was two explanations of this in the Old Testament, which is the days of Noah, where he washed away the old world and brought in a new world. That's what's going to happen in the book of Revelations. He's going to make it all new. But right now it's longing because it's in pain, waiting for this new life. But then there was this concept of circumcision, which is a new seed, a new lineage, which is everything that happens when we're born again, where we come into this, this seed, this image of Christ, and now we're waiting for this new creation to be made new. Now, in this meantime, what's happening is this. God is still trying to get more people saved. That's why we're here in the earth, and that's why God is not pulling his church out of the affliction. He's keeping us there because he needs the people that are still in darkness to see the hope that we have. So our last slide is this. In this theology of pain, of understanding the painful places we cannot begin to look at God as wrong, evil, or bad. The foundation for God's name and goodness in our painful places. These are going to be about four or five points, and this is where we're closing. 
the foundation for God's name and goodness in our painful places. Number one, God is good. We can never question that when we are experiencing the pain around the world, pain in our nation, the pain in our family. God is good. Psalms 119.68 says this, God is good and he only does good. John, 1 John 1.3 says this, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Okay, God is good. So we've got to, in this understanding of pain, we've got to elevate God and actually let him be bigger than everything we're experiencing in this, in this world, the global view. Number two, watch this. God planned redemption for us. So number one, God is good. Number two, God planned a redemption for us. Acts 2.23 says this. This man, Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless man and put him to death. So here's our foundations climbing this Mount Everest of understanding pain in our places of this world. Number one, we're looking at God. He is good. Yes, we chose to walk away from him. Yes, there was satanic activity that, caught, that, that is sort of empowering so much of the, the actions and thoughts in this world. But God is good. He planned a redemption for us. Number three, God then subjected creation to futility. Watch what happens in Romans 8.20. says this, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, which is God, he subjected it, here it is, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So God put the entire creation underneath this futility, underneath this slavery, not willingly, but for hope. You understand that? He put a pain on creation so that there could be a hope for another creation. You understand that? Why did God allow pain to come into the earth? Because it's causing us to look for the place of healing. It's causing us to look for a better home to live in. Number four, in this world, Christ easily becomes more precious to us than anything in this world. Do you understand? In this understanding of the pain and the painful places, we're looking at God and what God did. Number one, he is good. Number two, he planned redemption for us. Number three, he put the entire creation underneath slavery. And number four, so that in this world, Christ will become more precious to us than anything else in this world. That goes back to the man walking in this world who finds this incredible treasure. Philippians 3.8, Paul says these words. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. The greatest Christian to ever live at the end of his life said, I have considered it all loss because I have discovered the treasure. Why did God allow pain to come into the earth? Because it causes us to fall in love with the sweetness of his son's life. The last point is this. Why did God allow this pain? Because Christ had to come into this world to suffer and die. 
Because remember, when we disobeyed God, we instantly became spiritually dead, separated from God for all of eternity. And for God to restore us, the only way that he could restore us is somebody had to die for us. Somebody had to take place of, of the place of Adam and die for us. Matthew 16, 21 says these incredible words out of Jesus' mouth. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and be raised up on the third day. So we're looking at this in the lens of God. Why did he have to allow this satanic activity to be so enforceful over humanity? Why did he allow this, this activity to happen with humanity where we would become so evil, so hated toward each other? This judgment that came upon us because he had to send his world into his son into this world so that there would be these people that were dominated by satanic authority and by this evil that is ramping and the pain that is all over so that we would crucify his son. So now there is an entrance to an entirely new life. Now, look, guys, this is a theological view on why pain. If it wasn't for pain, we would never look for healing. And from the worldview, yes, there is a lot of death happening all over the world. But if we're closing with this verse, but listen to the words of Paul. For this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but all to the things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Do you know what that just said is this, guys? Look, yes, the pain hurts, but a billion years from now, it's only, it's so light. When we get to see the glories of a new kingdom and a new creation, it is so light and it was so worth it so that we would reach out to God. And God is allowing this to happen all over the world. Look, I'm not, I'm not answering any other questions of personal battles that we go through. All I know is this. God's minds are so farther than ours. And he has caused us to look for redemption. And he's caused it to where we can find something so sweet that we turn away from the things of this world. He has caused it to where we are going to one day be a pearl and an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So what do I do with my pain then? You give it all to Jesus and you fall in love with him. Now look, I know that that was an easy answer, but there's no other answer. He's the only answer for our pain. Let's just stand together. <clears throat> there's no other answer to our pain today, guys. Look, I know that in this room, the experiences that we've had are so different. And there is so much negative experiences and so much pain. But I, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, guys. You cannot carry it. And I cannot fix it for you. Only one can. And I'm just going to have a time of altar for any person that is in this place. Because I'm going to tell you, there's this woman that understands your pain. Her name's Mary Magdalene. Who is a woman that had seven demons controlled and forced by satanic activity who was abused by humanity because she was a prostitute. But all of a sudden, she began to heard about who Jesus was and how he was the answer to the fallen race that we live in. 
And she began to collect all these funds inside of this one little box. It's called a perfume box. It was a perfume box that cost years worth of wages. I, I really want us to understand this, guys, because this is key to me. This is everything. She began to take all of these years of hardship and all the money she collected it, and she purchased this expensive perfume, and she began to carry this with her, which was her pain. It was her hardship, her hurt. And all of a sudden, she hears about Jesus in a room, and she goes into this place where Jesus is at, and she begins to see him there, and she begins to break all of her pain and begins to not pour it on him, but rub it on him. She begins to endorse his body with her pain, with all of her failures, all of her hardship. And you know what happened? Jesus' disciples said, stop what you're doing. Jesus' disciples, Judas, actually said, Jesus, tell her to stop. And Jesus says this, leave her alone, for she is preparing me for my death. I'm about to take her pain and bury it in the grave. Do you understand that? Look, all I can tell you is this. There's only one person that can handle your pain, and that's Jesus. He is so sweet. He is so precious. He is so valuable, and he wants you to rub your pain upon him. Could you imagine the day that he was on the cross pouring out the sweat, his pores opening up, feeling like he cannot go any longer, and all of a sudden those fumes of perfume rise into his nostrils, thinking I'm carrying her pain, I'm gonna go forward. I'm carrying her pain, I'm gonna keep going forward. Look, his passion was your pain. That's why he wants your pain. So we're just gonna close with that. We're gonna close with that thought. If there is any pain inside of your heart, I'm talking about a supernatural touch of God today that can begin to heal you of hurt that you cannot explain, that you cannot change. Jesus can. He can. And then what he's going to do, he's, he's going to cause you to be a great light, sharing your testimony of the grace and mercy and peace and, and, and comfort of God the Father. Now, Jesus, I just pray right now, Father, in this room, as we just began to look at theology concerning our pain and painful places, God. Father, we look at you today as good. We look at you today, God, as a God that did not turn your back on us, God, when we walked away from you. God, you have, through your wisdom, you have allowed things to take place, God, all throughout our life that has caused us to be here today to see that you are so much greater than this world and what this world could ever offer. And God, I'm praying right now for your presence to come into this room and that you allow people, God, to come and rub their pain upon you and that, God, you would take it from them today, God. As Mary one day saw you on the resurrected side, I pray today, God, that they would see you in that new life today, God, in that new power and that authority that you have for them, God. I, I just pray for that. And I pray this in the name of Jesus.